Hello. Hi, guys. Hello. I'm Chuck. Uh, the name of Tr- Charles Fielding. The name of this session is Sharing the Gospel Behind Closed Doors. And I'm going to call it part one because I'm going to do it in two parts. I get to talk, speak twice. And um, I didn't want to, just in case somebody came twice, I didn't want you to have to listen to the same stories. So I thought, well, we can, there's so much content, so we'll just do part one and part two. Uh, all right, so let me get, uh, let me pray for us before we get started, and then and I'll try to save some time at the end, and we can have a fun time talking, and we can have questions, and then hopefully everything we do will be glorifying to God, and then wouldn't that be great? Heavenly Father, we pray that what we do here now during this next hour will make a difference for eternity. Pray, Father, that we won't be like Pharisees and try to show off, and we won't be like typical humans and try to puff ourselves up or, or pacify ourselves, but that we will see the world the way that you see it, and we'll talk about the way the world that you'd have us talk about it, and that we would learn something that would result in, in eternal fruit. We pray this in the name of our Lord, our King, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, I'm a family practice doctor. Um, my wife is Michelle, and she's here. And this is the first time that she's ever been to GMHC with me for all the... It's not a lot of years, but I've, I've come a couple of times, and it's always hard to come, especially when you come from overseas without Michelle. So this is a great thing. We also have two exceptionally, exceptional progeny. This is Caleb and Mallory. And they're... Uh, Caleb's in pre-med in Florida, and Mallory, wants to, she told us last week, I want to be a master's in public health. I think she just likes something with the word master's in it, you know, like I want to master something. So, because <laughs> she's always been a little sister. And she's a California Baptist out in California, surprisingly. And so, uh, Michelle and I are like empty nesters. It's a little spooky. We started missions in 1995, back when Caleb was like, like a rugby ball. A loaf of bread, and uh, Mallory was born in Islamabad, Islamabad Pakistan. Um, we were kicked out of Pakistan after two years. I'm a family practice doctor. I was also, after I got there, I was told, you're a church planter. Didn't know what that was. I really did not know what that was. It didn't make sense. I was supposed to learn language anyway. I learned my language, shared the gospel one time. Got kicked out. Oh, I... Shared the gospel after I'd been told I had two weeks to get out of the country. I was like, pull the guard aside. And I sat down with a translator because my Urdu still wasn't that wasn't good enough to do everything I wanted to do. And so that was it. So I got kicked out. I felt like the biggest loser ever. And I may well have been the worst missionary ever to have missed. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, God, after that, we went to Singapore and God called us into Kashmir. Our, our initial focus was the Kashmiri people, which is kind of the area called disputed territories on the map back then. That's where China, India, Pakistan all come together, and everybody wants it, and, and they fight over it for ever since independence, of in, when uh, India and Pakistan got independence in 1947. Ever since that, yeah, since that day, they started fighting. Um, so that was our people, and we're going to do it from the Pakistani side, which was relatively safe and and quiet, and then God called us into the Indian side, which was fighting for 50 years. And we had two little bee babies. It didn't make sense to go into a war zone, but when God tells you to do something, you better say yes, sir. Um, so we did, and we went in, and we saw a lot of fruit. We saw a lot of people come to Jesus, 
And that was a cool thing. Now I'm going to just go ahead and skip to the end. I'm going to tell you right now. I told this story to Josh, if he's here, the other night at midnight. It was a resident at my house. And I was remembering the whole thing. And every time I think of it, it's like big, perfect, ripe, fuzzy peaches on the ground. And our job was to just walk through and pick them up and put them in a basket. As opposed to Pakistan, and I describe that as sitting on an enormous concrete floor with a plastic spoon and being told, dig to China. So they were two different experiences, and God allowed us to do both of them. Um, When we were in Pakistan, there were missionary families that had been there for four decades and had seen no fruit. When we got to India, to the Kashmiri area, there had been missionaries for 143 years, 153 years, 10-year hiatus because the Indian government kicked out all missionaries, and then we came back as a medical team. And look, we're picking up all these fruit. And every time I knew it, I was like, I was crying over the missionaries that were dead and buried and forgotten. And they're the great heroes that we're going to celebrate in, in heaven someday, which is awesome. So when you do career missions, you're part of this amazing legacy, 2,000-year-old legacy and that you get to join in on. And if you do see fruit and if you don't see fruit, those are not the relevant issues. The relevant issue was, did you show up? Were you obedient to the Great Commission to show up and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? And that's my segue into what I think is probably the greatest word in any language, and that is the Greek word euangelios, the good message. You, as in eukaryotic cells, means good. Angelios, or angelion, it comes, you know, we get the word angel from that. An angel is a messenger, right? So the euangelion is the good message. And if you don't prioritize it over every single thing in your life, then you need to go back and get saved. Because it's incredible. It's the, it's the best glimpse that we have into the glory of God. So we're going to die and we're going to be gathered around the throne of, of, of God and we're going to get to experience His glory for all eternity. And as far as I can tell, we're never going to get bored. So God's glory must be phantasmagorically gigantic, good, big. That's big. What do we know of it? Well, not a lot. We know the reflection of His glory through Jesus Christ. That's really all we get. That's it. That's God on earth. And this is an insight into the glory of God. That's going to be so fantastic that we can worship it forever and never get bored. Jesus Christ, the glory of the, the glory of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was prophesied and who came and who proved that He was the Son of God and who died for our sins, yet though we were His enemies and rose to life to demonstrate He's more powerful than the curse. He's more powerful than death. He's more powerful than sin. He is the power source for everything, for all eternity. And you can know Him. That's an amazing story. So, don't just be go, be go be a medical missionary and dedicate your life to practicing medicine. It's not as good as the gospel. No, it's good. It's really great to heal people. It's, it's really a wonderful feeling. I, I stand there in refugee camps and I say, Lord, what an honor to get to see this. What an honor to get to hold children in Niger and think, There's these kids, some of these, a lot of these kids are going to be dead in six months. 
there's nothing I can do about it. But what an honor to be here to get to see what you've been seeing, the, the, the broken, cursed earth. So it's an honor to get to see it. And it's a double honor to get to have, hey, I've got some capacity to make a little difference. All right? But it doesn't last for eternity. It's, it's temporal. And you're in a job, if you're a doctor, you're in a job with a 100% failure rate. But the gospel is eternal. Not just success, but eternal success. You know, you win a football game, and that was great. But it's over a week later. This is a win that lasts forever. So I can't get over. I, I, I think that the gospel is like a really good thing. And when we, as a church and as missionaries, find something else that we elevate and put all of our time and all of our energy and stuff into, I'm thinking, do we devalue the gospel? Well, yeah. We're, we showing, we're showing with our behavior how we really feel about it. If we do not do everything we can to advance the knowledge of His glory and the knowledge of the gospel to the ends of the earth, over it, just with every ounce of our being, every ATP in our body, if we don't do that, we're demonstrating how we really feel about it. It's the okay message. It's a good story. It's not a good story. It's the story of salvation. It's, It's the message of salvation. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Alright, so, we're going to talk about the gospel. Sharing the gospel behind closed doors, part one. So, in the Middle East, we have a lot of camels. And in North Africa, we have a lot of camels. And camels have a couple of things. They're, hair, they're dirty, they're hairy, and they're natty. They've got a lot of gnats around their face. And so, it's always been the tradition is if you drink tea or whatever you're going to drink, you want to strain out the hairs, and also, there's some gnats in there, too. And Jesus told the Pharisees, you guys, you guys miss the big picture. Sometimes you're so into straining out even a gnat that you turn around and swallow the whole camel. That's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. Let's don't do that as the church of Jesus Christ. Let's don't do that as the disciples. Let's not miss the big picture for the details or for what our Christian culture is handing us as the most important thing or missions culture is handing us as the most thing or our, or our feelings tell us is the most important thing. The gospel is the most important thing. It is. It just is. Why did Jesus come to earth? For the cross. He healed people on the way. He taught a lot of good things. But it's all about the cross. If he had done these other good things but he did not die, we'd still be in our sins. Alright? So it's all about the cross. It's all about the euangelios. And as medical missionaries, by the way, that word's not even in the Bible. So please don't elevate that up on some kind of a pedestal and go, I'm a medical missionary. No, go be a disciple maker. That's what Jesus said. Go make disciples of all nations. Be a disciple maker who happens to have this really sweet advantage of having medical knowledge. The ability to heal. But don't rub that in the face of your missionary colleagues. Because I found out they hate that. Let's talk a little bit about disciple-making strategy. I got overseas. I found out I was a church planter. I changed this word just three minutes ago from church planting strategy to disciple-making strategy, lest I confuse you as bad as I was confused in those days. I was there in Pakistan. I'm thinking I cannot plant a church because I don't know how to lay bricks and mortar. I don't know how to run the wiring. I don't know how to set up a PA system. I don't know how to 
send somebody to seminary and get them back here. I don't know how to build pews. I don't know how to be a church planter. And I laid in bed and I worried and worried and worried, and worried about it. And then after a while, I was like, Chuck, you moron, that's not what a church is. Somewhere in there, God told me that. And I started deconstructing church in my mind. It's like, oh, I'm taking out the PA system because we could probably yell loud enough to get to all the people. And it's like, by the way, how many people do you have to have? Well, I've been in a church of 100. I've been in a church of 40. So, church of 20? Doesn't seem like it, but why not? I don't think there's any numbers in the Bible. 10? 5? And all of a sudden, you're like, well, we don't even need a building. Let's throw that out. We don't need a, what else? How about a pastor? We've got to have a pastor, I think. But does he have to go to seminary? Throw that out. So I started deconstructing church. Then the next day I got up and I said, forget it. Let's go backwards. Let's do this. Let's start with zero and construct church based on just the Bible. And there's only a couple of things you need. Mainly the disciples and the Holy Spirit. So it's the, the easiest way to think of it is like this. If, if you got... Uh, a group of grapes, we call that a cluster. And if you got a group of quail, we call that a covey. And a group of dogs is a pack of dogs. And a group of disciples is a church of disciples. Now, that's not perfect, but that's pretty smart way to think about it. That way you don't emphasize this thing, which is the church building. This is not the church at all. You can't go to church. And you can't do church. You go, what time, oh, what time does church start? It's the people. Church doesn't start. Church doesn't end. I'll see you after church. No such thing. So we're the church. And overseas, we plant churches with like four disciples. And they meet with each other. And they encourage each other. And they study the Word with each other. And they pray. And they take the Lord's Supper. And they baptize each other. And they learn from each other how to take the Gospel to their family and their friends so that the knowledge of God's glory, the Juangelius, can spread throughout the whole community. The church exists so that we can just build each other up and make more impact from, for Jesus Christ. It doesn't exist so we can learn more information and then impress God on the final exam about how much Greek and Hebrew we know and how we can... So it's not about learning a whole bunch of information for ourselves. You're already going to heaven. You don't need more information. What you need is to learn how to take the gospel to your neighbors or you need to learn how to teach someone to take take the gospel. See? So that's what the church is. Disciple-making strategy and church-planting strategy are really synonymous. Disciple, once you get a disciple, the first thing they do is, where's another disciple? And then where's another disciple? And they get like three of them so they can encourage each other. You just did church-planting. So you plant, you make disciples, you plant churches. Dig? Everybody dig? Anybody disagree? Because if you do, you're wrong. (laughs) Amen. The, the brother, the church planter from the Middle East says, Amen. All right. How do you learn this stuff? Go to the Bible. Please don't listen to me. Please don't listen to... I mean, seriously, if you want to play a game, just turn the volume down. Um, all I'm going to do is hopefully point you to the Bible. There's no good books on it. There's no. It's all in the book, in the Bible. It's mostly in the book of Acts, but in the Pauline epistles. And I learned that the hard way. I remember in 1995 or six. Writing my supervisor in Kathmandu, and we're in wherever. And I guess I had this new thing called the World Wide Internet Web. And um, I emailed him, barely knew what it was. And uh, I said, can you send me a book on how to plant churches among Muslims? And he wrote back and said, you guys are writing the book. There's not a book yet. No one's done. You know, missionaries have come before us, but we don't have their documentation. 
they may have been very successful, but we don't have it written down anywhere. So we were having to make it up. So we went to the book of Acts. And I looked at the book of Acts a lot. And I read it round and round and round and round. So Paul and Barnabas, they leave from Antioch. They go to the island of Cyprus because Barnabas is from there. They go across it. They land at a place called Perga. They head up north to a place called Pisidian Antioch. And Paul goes into the synagogue and he starts teaching. And he's, he's, he had a really good reception. People loved it. And they said, can you come back next week? He came back the next week and it said nearly the entire city came out to hear what he had to say. So guess what happened? Jewish leaders who get like 20 people to listen to them, they got jealous. So, jealous people got their defense mechanism, their ego issues. And so, they start, of course, these are almost certainly men because of the ego problems. You can tell they're men. Um, and they start arguing with Paul. And Paul's like, if you guys don't want to get saved, we're going outside and taking it to the Gentiles. And so, they took it to the Gentiles. And within two weeks, a lot of people believed, but Paul and Barnabas were kicked out. And there's this awesome sentence in the book of Acts. It says, and the gospel spread throughout the entire region. And you can miss that unless you read it over about 35 times like I did. And I started finding these amazing things that I had, I had heard, I read, but not really heard. That was cool. So I had to go back and like, well, wait a minute. How did he do that? He's there like three weeks, maybe six. I can't tell, but he's kicked out pretty fast. And the gospel spread throughout the whole region. So that's one of the things we're going to talk about because we don't want a gospel. We don't, if I get Sue saved, that's really good. That's really good for Sue. And, and I made a convert, and that's a cool thing. But what if I made Sue a disciple and I get Sue and her family saved? Now that's better for Sue and her family and the friends of her family and their family and the gospel spreads and God gets the glory that he deserves by seeing the knowledge of his glory spread and cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So it's about making disciples, not about racking up converts here for yourself. Okay, You want to start a movement. That's what Paul has done. And that's built into those couple of verses there, which I thought that was fantastic. He gets kicked out of Pisidian Antioch. He goes to Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, he makes disciples in all of these places. I went and I just thought, heck, I'm going to go through the whole book of Acts. Because I got kicked out of Pakistan and I feel guilty. Until I read this, they're getting kicked out of everything. They went to 15 towns and got kicked out of eight. And I'm thinking, if you're a missionary and you haven't been kicked out, you're a loser. Let's put it the other way. You know, I started feeling a little better about myself. Because I was ashamed. In mission culture, you don't do the stuff that results in you getting kicked out. And I get kicked out for not even for witnessing, and I felt guilty. And then, and then you find out it's not about that. It's not about missions culture. It's about obeying Jesus Christ and trusting in his sovereignty. And if you get kicked out, I believe God's sovereign, sovereign over me getting kicked out of Pakistan because that's resulted what resulted in us going to Kashmir where God was able to utilize us to pick up fresh fruit off the ground. And that was cool. And then after a couple of years, we're done with Kashmir and we're on to the next place. And we've... We've been a lot of different places utilizing this degree of medicine and also the book of Acts to see we have to keep advancing the gospel forward. That's what apostolic workers do. That's what missionaries do. We keep pushing the gospel to every ethno-linguistic group so that the church can be complete, which is a good time for this verse. What's the, you swallow the gnat, but you miss the camel. 
I'm sorry, you strain the gnat, but you swallow the camel. That's what the Pharisees were guilty of doing. Not seeing the forest for the trees. So what's the forest? What's the big picture? Well, go to about the last page of your Bible. This is great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, God the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine lit linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Now, you got to read that one about 30 times or be old like me before you start to get what that's all about. It's about the bottom line. Jesus has come back. Satan has been thrown into a, an abyss. All death and sin and all the badness is gone and we get a new heaven and a new earth. Now, that's the bottom line. That's what the church is focused on, right? And it says that the bridegroom has come, the lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. Now, who's the bride? The church. That's us. And the church is individuals. It's not a building. And we have made ourselves ready. Now, how do we make ourselves ready? Human bride makes herself ready qualitatively. She does her hair and her eyes and all her fingernails qualitatively. But is that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to improve our qualities, build bigger buildings, be smarter Christians? No. The bride prepares herself by finding all of us. I mean, we don't want to show up missing fingers and toes and ankles and stuff like this. The church, the, the ultimate church is... I'm going to say it this way, and please don't throw stuff at me. God's elect from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. Or, those that choose God from every tongue, tribe, people, or nation. Or probably, and, I don't really care. But, it's God's children. The children of God, all of us, are there, and that is the completed bride. That's the objective of the church. That's why we are still on earth. Jesus said, I'm gone, and now you're my body on earth. I need you to continue to do what I did, which was save people. Save all my people from Pantata Ethne, all the ethnic groups of the earth. And so the completed church is us from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. And behold, the bride has come, and she has made herself ready. That's by finding everybody. And she is clothed in fine linen, which are... The righteous works, the good works. Good works is not the bride. Good works is what we do. So, as a missionary, you go out to find the rest of the church. And you do the good works on the side. Jesus was walking to the cross and he healed people on his way. So the good works are not the, are not the objective. You understand what I'm saying? You, get, you guys digging with this? Right. It's not about being a medical missionary and healing. If you get to the end of the year and you say, we healed a thousand people, but nobody got into heaven, is that really the way Jesus would have us be missionaries? Right? Now, if ten people got into heaven and you didn't give a rip for the people in the refugee camps and people are dying, that's called medical missionary malpractice as well. 
They're both malpractice. We're supposed to preach and to heal. But it's all about the euangelios being advanced to the ends of the earth and people getting saved. So, look, Paul's doing it and he's going around and he's advancing the knowledge of God's glory and he's planting churches in, in, in 15 different cities. He got kicked out of eight. He gets to Derbe. He gets to Derbe and he does a fascinating thing. His home is Tarsus. So he gets stoned here in this town of Lystra with rocks, that kind of stoned. And then he gets to Derbe and he's almost home. And all he has to do is go see his sister in Tarsus, have some home cooking, and then come around to Antioch, and he's done, right? He doesn't. He turns around, and he goes back to the place where they threw rocks at him. And then he goes all the way back this, this way. So I thought that was interesting, biblical strategy. So I studied it, and I thought about it. And I thought, can I put this down in a way so that even I can understand it? So I came up with something that I call the ABCs. So we're going to run through the ABCs real quick. The first one is access the community. The second one is he made disciples. And the third one is he empowered the church. So when he went backwards, it's going to say ABC in a minute. It's family practice. It's, it's not necessarily linear uh, or, or cogent. So, um, but it is evidence-based. That's what the point of this thing is. So after... Paul got, and Barnabas got all the way around to Derbe. They go back and they empower the church. So we're going to look at all this. Access. Access is the biggest word. Matter of fact, we're going to find out here in a minute. It's all about access. It's all about access. Now, what we used to think in the old days as missionaries was we have to get into every closed country. So we got into... Pakistan and Kashmir and our friends got into Afghanistan. We had friends in Iran. We had friends in Tibet and we had friends in all these different places. Guess what? We found out it's not about getting into all the closed places. It's about making disciples in all the closed places. That's hard. How do you make... Pakistan, we were losers. Kashmir went a lot better. What was the difference? What's Paul doing that's so good? So I looked at Paul and I thought, you know what? Paul's got a way of doing it. And if I, just, if I just copy that, it's going to work, right? So what does Paul do? He, he enters a new town. But that's not access. He gets there. He spends the night. Next day, goes to the synagogue. And he starts to talk. And people listen. And people get saved. And then he meets with them over the next couple of days. Ah, it's easy. All we have to do is go to the mosque. Okay, so I did it. Went to the mosque. Got chased out of the mosque. I got chased out of a lot of places the first couple of years. Um, and I was like, what's the deal? Paul did it? And the Holy Spirit's like, no, no, Paul did not do that. There's a difference between the synagogue and the mosque. The synagogue, pretty much the message is, let's read the Holy Law and the prophets who talk about the coming of the Messiah. And so then Paul shows up and goes, hey, remember that Messiah you guys have been waiting on? Let me tell you about it. So the mosque is not that. It's a completely different foundation. It says, say not that Jesus is the Son of God. He did not die on the cross. Okay, so Christianity stacks on top of the Old Testament, but it doesn't stack on top of the mosque. So they weren't equivalent. So what was I doing wrong? Well, I was trying to do apples to apples, and I realized it wasn't about the place anyway. So what was it about? It's about a whole lot of different stuff. It's about Paul being from out of town. Anybody from out of town is probably smarter than us. 
You know, that's what we always do. He's an expert. He's from out of town. Uh, he's from out of town. He was a Pharisee, and everybody knows it. He speaks a lot of languages, and everybody knows it. He's highly educated, and most importantly, he was trained under a guy named Gamaliel. And that is a really, really big deal. This is a very important rabbi trainer. So when Paul goes to speak, everybody's scooting up their chair and they're leaning forward because they really want to hear what he has to say. Now, that's what access is. Now, after that, things start coming out of his mouth. That's making disciples. That's, that's sharing the gospel. But access is getting that, that audience to trust you and want to listen to you. It's all about trust. You can say the words, but if you don't have that trust relationship and they got their arms like this, you know, they're looking away, then that's not access. But if they're leaning forward and they want to hear what you have to say, now maybe their heart will be humble enough and open enough to listen, to let the Holy Spirit in so they can be convicted of their sins and that the Uangalias can change their lives. All right? So Paul is just knocking the ball out of the park. And I'm thinking, okay, so how do we do that? How do we get access like that? That's where I came up with B and C. We have to get behind closed doors because context is important for us. We can't do this out on the street corner. Because if I'm talking to a Muslim out on the street corner and I start talking about Jesus, the first thing they do is, I wonder who's watching me talk about this treasonous information. They can't relax. So we've got to get into a place where intimate conversations can take place. It might be behind literal closed doors in their house. It might be after dark. Nicodemus came to Jesus after dark. Nicodemus had the same issues. He's a Pharisee. He doesn't, he doesn't want people seeing him talk to Jesus. So his behind closed doors was after dark. So you've got to get in a place where people can really relax. Access can take place. And then care for the needy. Because after I take care of you and your kids and your grandmama and pass out some medicines and put my stethoscope on you and touch you and drink tea with you and I listen to you talk about your crops and stuff, now when I start to talk about Jesus... Yeah, why not? There's a connection there. There's a relationship there. I trust you. You touched me. You, you healed my grandmama. You did a lot of good stuff. So guess what? After I realized that, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Also, Jesus told us to do that. That's another good reason to care for the needy. Huh. So I was doing it for strategy, which I'm kind of embarrassed. You should be doing it because it's right. So I was maybe prioritizing trying to do good strategy over obeying. So maybe if I had obeyed Jesus to go heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, and preach the gospel, then, then I wouldn't need all these ABCDs. I mean, Jesus told us exactly how to do it, didn't he? But I saw the word raise the dead. I got intimidated by the verse. Skip the whole page. I don't think you all have done that, but that's what I did. All right. Make disciples. You can only do that by preaching the gospel. Empower the church. After Paul and Barnabas got to Derbe, they went back. And it says that they appointed elders in every church. They strengthened, the, uh, they strengthened and encouraged them. They told them to remain true to the faith and said, Through many trials we will enter the kingdom of God. And then they left them, entrusting them, the new disciples, unto the Holy Spirit, in whom these disciples had originally put their trust. All that stuff, I just made a list. It's like, okay, encouraging. I guess it's like, good job, keep going. You know, I don't know what encourage. Strengthening, that's probably teaching, I'm guessing. Uh, appointing elders, telling them that they're going to go through persecution, and then leaving. All of that was a part of empowering, and that's what we did in Kashmir. We got out of there, because I realized the longer that I stay, 
like 300 guys had come to the Lord, and guys and girls. And the longer that we stay, the longer we're sending the message, you need the missionary. And they don't. They need the Holy Spirit now. They're saved. Sure, I gave them some apostolic benefit when I taught them how to witness or show them how to multiply, stuff like that. But now they've got the Holy Spirit. And in this day and age, they've also got the Bible. A lot of them were literate. They don't need the missionary anymore. What do I do? There's plenty of lost people left, guys. I don't know if you heard. So we're out. And we, go, we went to Yemen. And we went to Darfur. And we went to, to, to different other places. All right, so here's a picture of a Kashmir village. Honey, can you see that? Doesn't that look Kashmiri? I just found that on the internet a second ago. So this is to remind me to tell you all a story. Okay. Any questions? Am I moving too fast? We're going okay? Okay. You got, you know what I'm putting a lot of emphasis on that word access. Two things. The gospel. It's all about the gospel. If you're not good at sharing the gospel, don't be intimidated, so intimidated that you say, well, gosh, that's just somebody else's responsibility. Because I did that for a while. A lot of us did that for a while. We just figured, it scares me. And so I just, I'd rather think about something that I'm good at. All right? That's not a good way to start with this. Because you can get good at the gospel. Or you can get good at going with a friend who is good at the gospel and setting them up and stuff like that. Yes, sir? What are you doing with the cost of sharing the gospel to be either your life? Mm-hmm. a great question and, and it's and that is real um, a lot of the time but so it varies that 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 amount of risk varies from place to place right but let's think about it biblically because I answer all my questions I try to answer all my questions biblically so we're talking about risk Well, a thing that I learned a long time ago is the word risk and the word faith go side by side. Because if there's no risk, it's not really faith. I had to learn how to define the word faith. Because I thought that I had faith because I read my Bible. And I have faith because I pray. And then I realized that's what the Muslims say. I I have faith in God proven by the fact that I pray five times a day and by the fact that I give zakat to the poor and I do all these things. And that's not what we mean when we mean faith. What is this best story of faith in the Bible? Abraham lifts his hand to kill his son. Does he risk much? The death of a child. Abraham, when he walks out into the desert with his family in obedience to God, God said, pick up from here and go. Pick up from Ur and go this way. He risked his own life and all of his family. If you're not risking, you're not utilizing faith. You might be utilizing belief, but not real faith. And that's what that's what we see all through the New Testament. So, faith... Uh, Hebrews 1.6 says, without, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Is that 1.6 or 6.1? 11.6. It's like, it can't be 1.6. <laughs> Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It, faith is huge. And, and this is what uh, we ha- you have to identify. What's going on? Fear, risk, faith. They're, uh, they're all important words that are utilized together. So, this uh, friend has uh, told us about a situation in which, in which there is risk. And when you see risk, there is fear. 
And how should we respond to that? Well, if we let fear drive our behavior, we just let Satan win because we know where fear comes from. So what do we utilize when we see fear? We utilize faith and we obey. So here's the best way I can describe it. Uh, I've read enough about following Jesus and I kind of know what he wants and it's like I'm going down a path following Jesus and I'm a young Christian and I'm running on a track, staying between the white lines because that's what good Christians do. And I'm going the direction, I was going the world's direction and now I'm going the Jesus direction. And I'm thinking, this isn't so bad. Christianity's pretty easy. I can do this. Just stay behind the lines and keep going. Yep. This is what everybody's doing. I see people on the side of me. Some people are passing me, but not many. And then you look up and you see a big old hurdle. And it's 14 inches higher than you know you can jump. And you're thinking, nobody told me there's going to be hurdles. I don't know what to do about this hurdle. Okay, you start to get afraid. Because if I jump and I don't make it, I risk breaking my femur. Right? And so you're thinking, I know what I'll do. I'll go around. And then you realize, ah, there's lines. I'm supposed to stay between the lines. I can't do that. It's getting closer. It's getting closer. What do I do? I'm going to stop. I can't do that. God told me to go. That'd be disobedient. What do I do? I'm just going to break my leg. So you jump and you think my leg's going to go right through it. And I'm going to break my leg. And you jump. You jump. And you get lifted 16 inches higher than you know you could ever possibly jump by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you land on the other side. And you think, I utilized faith and God showed up and had my back and God is real and I'll never be afraid again. Now you will a little bit next time, but not nearly as much. And that is how to walk in faith. And there's not a lot of opportunities to do that in America because there's no persecution. And we've got insurance and plenty of money and all kinds of affluence. And this is not our fault. Okay, guys? It's just, it's a problem. How do we grow uh, in faith if there's no risk here? And one of the things that we do is we live in the inner city Memphis. I mean, we live down in the hoods where we can hear gunshots and we can be around all the criminals and stuff. One of the reasons is it helps us utilize faith in America. It helps me grow. It helps me mentor my children and the residents that we see and stuff like that to say, well, at least, I mean, this isn't North Korea, but it's, it's the best we can do in the States. Um, I I don't know that I completely answered it, but the deal is be obedient, do the right thing, and let the the fear, let let Jesus Christ shoulder that. Because he's big enough. And if you mess up uh, and get outside of his sovereignty, right. See? How could you mess up and get outside of his sovereignty? It's, it's too wide. It's too big. So uh, hammering down and understanding the sovereignty of God is really important for missions as well. Let me tell this Kashmiri story because this is a good one. All right, so this is kind of bringing the ABCs together and stuff. Um, uh, Dr. Mike was my partner, and he's married to Michelle's sister. So we prayed for partners, and God sent us Mike and Jill, Michelle's best friend and my best friend. It was a good prayer. God answers prayers when you're in Kashmir. Also brought me my backpacking buddy who was a a veterinarian. And we had Mrs. Cha who's a nurse midwife. So we had an awesome team. Two doctors. Mike's a gastroenterologist. I'm family. Two doctors. Veterinarian. A a nurse midwife. All of us can share the, the gospel to some degree. We practiced a lot. We worked on it. We encouraged each other. We taught each other. That's what the church does. We studied it together till we all got better at it. And we out and we practiced, and all of us got better by practicing. So we got over our fear of witnessing with faith, and we and 
And the cool thing is, even when we would mess the words up, people would hear things that we didn't say through the Holy Spirit. And if you're old missionaries, you know this has happened before. People come, I can't believe you said such and such. You're like, never said it. But they heard it that way. So we wanted to help people, help poor people, on our way to making disciples. So that was our overall strategy. Now, how, how are we going to make disciples? Well, we can't. Only the Holy Spirit can make disciples, right? No one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. But we can proclaim the gospel. But we, what we've learned is, what we saw is, a lot of Muslims do not like the gospel. So, maybe we need to talk to more. That was our hypothesis. And it was true. Talk to 500 and maybe you find three that... Because you talk to five and you get five no's and you get discouraged. You go, I'm not going to do this anymore. So what we did is we came up with a strategy. We picked a little bitty village. It was called, no kidding, the name of the town was called Chuck. Chuck Chuck Putton. It had about 50 houses in it, something like that. We decided we're going to go to four houses a day each. So we're going to fast through breakfast. We're going to ask God to give us an opportunity to share the gospel. Dr. Mike's going to go to uh, four houses. I'm going to go to four houses, two before noon, two afternoon. Each house has got about five people in it. So five times four is uh, 20 for me, right? And five times four is 20 for Mike. And that is 40 houses. And in five days, 200 people are going to hear the gospel. Not bad, huh? And by five weeks, a thousand people have heard the gospel and we would have done the whole village. So that was our strategy. So see, smart missionaries are like, we, do, we crunch the numbers a different way too. How do we get the gospel out to as many people as possible? We're going to see if God's got somebody in this town that's ready to respond. So uh, when did, we fasted through breakfast. Mike went his way. I went my way. Go to the first house. See all the sick people. Uh, start teaching about community health issues. You know, if you use soap, you would prevent more germs. And where do y'all go to the bathroom? Oh, that's disgusting. Have you ever heard of latrines? And just whatever. Drink a cup of tea. After tea, say, tell me, how's God blessing you this year? And they're like, oh, it's not so good. And so really, you know, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. And, oh, wait, have you ever heard of Jesus Christ? <laughs> I mean, I tried every, all different kinds of techniques. Yeah, found out after a while, I was like, you don't need one. After you started, after you've helped people and put your hands on them and drunk tea with them, you can say, "Hey, you guys heard about Jesus?" I tried that a couple of times to see if I would get into trouble. No, no, they they figure you're a Christian because you're there helping them. Their doctors are gone or out of the country. So, uh, first family went, "Oh no, no, well, you have your religion and we have ours." So when they cross their arms and they say that kind of stuff. I'm like, "I got to get out of this house." Because i got more houses to go to. And I've, I've tried to push the gospel through before. I did not feel good about it myself. Nobody wins. And there's somebody out there that's waiting to hear the gospel. That's my theory. you know, Because that, that, that gives me encouragement. Um, went to the next house right before noon. I'm getting kind of hungry. Same thing happened. So all the people, saw the grandmama, saw the chase the chickens and goats out of the house, helped clean up some of the poop, uh, taught lessons on community health, had tea. Have you heard guys heard about Jesus? And they're like, no, no, you have your religion. We have our religion. They're almost the same. Like, yeah, right. That's what you're wanting to argue. And you're ah! No, wait a minute. Just get out of the house. Just get out of the house. So I'm kind of discouraged now. I go to the third house. 
after lunch. And it's like 1 to 3 now, 1 to 4. I'm getting kind of hungry. And I'm like, this is just not going to work. I hope Dr. Mike's doing better than me. Got to the fourth house. Six people in there. Put my stethoscope on everybody. Check every blood pressure. Make sure I touch everybody. Look in their eyes. Listen to them. Treat the grandmama. Put a, paid a lot of attention to the grandmama. She was cachectic and old and like... These are called vitamins. I don't know. You know, it's like that's about all I can do. She's 175 years old or something. So then we have the tea, and I say basically the equivalent of, have you guys ever heard about Jesus? And like the father and his oh, this is really interesting to us. Can you tell us all about it? Like, oh, I like this is going to work. I'm hoping it's working for Dr. Mike. So I said, well, sure. Um, so the big picture kind of is like this. Um, before God created any of this earth, he created thousands and thousands of, an- of angels. And the angels are up in heaven, and they're worshiping God, and they're singing, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and is to come. And these people are loving it. They're all leaning forward and looking at each other. Going, yeah, this is a story. This is a great story. And I'm thinking, well, they they like it, so let's make it bigger. Because <laughs> that's me. I can always make anything. I can take any five-minute talk and make it an hour and a half, no problem. <laughs> I can come unprepared to a talk and talk an hour and a half, no problem. <laughs> so I'm stretching this puppy out, and I'm making it big, and I'm making it grand, and, and they're leaning forward, and I'm like, oh, just, I was... I was made for the stage. <laughs> and I'd tell him the whole gospel. I told him about Satan, Iblis, who is uh, Lucifer, and about how Lucifer did this bad thing and evil entered the world, and then Adam and Eve, all that stuff. And, and I, I got through Jesus. I had told him about the prophecies, about a Messiah to come, to break the curse, and the baby was born to a virgin in the town that was prophesied. And, and they're like loving the story. And so I walked through all these miracles about Jesus. And then I need to tell about the death of Jesus. And I realize uh, the word for, for cross is Salim. But they don't have that word. Only the Christians down in South India have that word. If they ever heard of a cross, they think it's that little thing that women wear on their neck. How do I say Jesus died on a cross? And so I'm, I'm thinking there's a big post about this big holding up the building. And I thought, uh, so I said, then they, they, they captured him and they tied him up. And they took a big pole about this big and they laid it on the ground. And then I laid on the ground too. And I said, they put a cross with him and they put a, a nail through his arm. And they're all leaning forward like this. And I said, and they took the hammer and they nailed it in. And they all started crying. They're just bawling. And the Holy Spirit was moving and, and I was probably crying myself and I explained how they lifted him up and then his body fell and and then he couldn't breathe and then he said, you know, the, these people are forgiven and it is finished and, and I just told the whole gospel and they were crying and crying and I'm like, this is what happened to me when I got saved. First time I heard the gospel, a spiritual anvil fell on my head 41 years ago and I cannot get over it. And that's what's happening to these people. It's the same Holy Spirit. It's the same process. It's the same powerful gospel message. Praise God that I'm the one that gets to speak it out loud in this little hut, mud hut here in the backside of earth. What an honor for just a regular old country boy to get to do this. And I was loving it. And so I got to the end and I explained who Jesus was and how he provides forgiveness of sins through his blood. And would you like to repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus and received this powerful Holy Spirit, and five of them said yes. And this one guy's like, mm-hmm. 
I'm not so sure about this. <laughs> so, okay. So five people prayed to receive Jesus. And I realized that it's all about access, isn't it? I was in the right place, and they trusted me. And that made them drop down all their guard and relax so that they could be convicted of their sins and they could receive the Holy Spirit and they could respond to the Holy Spirit. So that's how it all works together, the A, B, C's, D's. We went back to disciple them. I couldn't go back a second time because look at me. I am glowing white. Even when I try to not be white, I walk like a white guy. They can see me five miles away and know that I'm a white guy, and so it's dangerous. Let me tell you what happened. Now, this might help a little bit. Five people got saved. Five people got baptized in a town an hour away. Within a week, um, there was a story in the newspaper. Missionaries are at work in the Kashmir Valley again, posing as doctors. (laughs) Well, why not? God's sovereign. That's all you can do. I've already been kicked out of one country. God's sovereign. What was I going to do? Not tell the gospel? You know. So I'm like, you know what? This is his thing. And if he wants to kick me out of another country, fine. You know. So posing as doctors, blah, 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 blah. Fifty families have converted. They have a tendency to exaggerate. <laughs> so I was like, I wish. And so a week or so later, nothing happened for a while. About a week later, Dr. Mike comes to me and said, man, the government guys came with machine guns and all this stuff and you know, the machine gun the guys stand outside and the guy comes in with a little notepad and he asks us all these questions interrogated us for four hours and I said oh man I'm so sorry he goes yeah the guy kept going I see a lot of pair of shoes here at the door while you're having secret meetings and Mike's like I got four kids and we had like three pairs of shoes each and he's trying to explain all this stuff and so I was like, I'm so sorry, Mike. Well, the next day they come to my house. Me and Michelle got two cars caught, pull up, seven or eight guys with machine guns. Like, they don't have enough to do. That's the deal. It's like, <laughs> so they're acting all tough like a Rambo. And this guy comes wearing like a suit. So, oh, Dr. Chuck, let me see your visa. What is your agreement with the government? And so he interrogated me for a little over an hour. He never asked me if I had given out a Bible. and He never asked me if I had, was talking about religious information. And I kept thinking, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. He's just, he's not asking. And the, he's not asking the questions that would get me in trouble. I'm going to tell a side story, and I'm a little embarrassed about this side story. I feel bad about it, but I'm going to tell it anyway because it makes an important point. There's a guy there with another organization named Robert, not his real name. Robert had been there longer than us, two years. And Robert told people that he was a businessman, but Robert had never done any business. So we found out that they showed up at Robert's house first, the day before Mike's house. And they went in and they said, you're giving out Bibles. So they brought out Bibles in front of him. I was the one bringing Bibles up from Delhi. I was the one witnessing me and Mike. He's getting in trouble for what we did. And the guy's like, no, no, I'm a businessman. I'm a businessman. They said, let us see your books. He didn't have any books. He was a missionary pretending to be a businessman. So they kicked him out immediately. There's two, there's two other families there with another organization focused on a different people group. They'd been there about a year. They said that they were humanitarian aid workers. They never did one single project. They got on an airplane and they flew to Nepal to hide. We stayed there. Um, the, they interviewed us, never asked us about anything. 
The next day, I went down to see the boss. And uh, I was like, I'm probably going to get us all kicked out. But again, God's sovereign. I don't think I can mess up his plan. I don't, guys, I don't know if this is good theology or not. It's just Chuck's best guess on how to be a missionary, you know. And so I'm like, I'm going to just walk right in there and I'm just going to say what I have to say. And I sure hope we don't get kicked out after the hard work we've done to get here. So uh, I walked into the guy's office. He said, oh, Dr. Chuck, how are you doing? And he shook my hand. Go, have a seat. Let's have some tea. We talked about this and that. And finally I said, look, I just have to ask you, Guys have come to our house and they've interrogated us about all of our activities. Do you want us to leave the country? And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. Please don't get the wrong idea. That was necessary. There was a complaint, and he let it slip. It was a religious leader that complained because of what we were doing. He said, but we told the guy that we've investigated you thoroughly and everything checks out. Now, what do you need from me? Do you want walkie-talkies? Do you need more transportation? See, the government didn't care so much. We're doing health care in their name. We're saying, look, the, your government sponsored us coming here. So they're looking good. Only the religious leaders care, usually. And the religious leaders in the mosque will go, these people are wrong, and they're doing this and this. And the people will come to your defense and go, no, they're coming to our house, and they're teaching us about good things, and they're healing us. Now, it might not always be that way. But in our experience, you will be scrutinized if you get what you're praying for, which is disciples. If you don't get disciples, nobody cares. If nobody's baptized, you can be missionary forever, you know, whatever. But if you get what you're praying for, which is people coming to the Lord and people being baptized, you will be scrutinized. If you have worked with integrity and not lied to the government, you're more likely to survive the scrutiny. So that's one of our... Or operating principles. Poor Robert, he didn't work with integrity. Let me tell you something else about it. The first two guys that came to my house said, Dr. Chuck, um, we're Christians. I said, dude, how did you become a Christian? <laughs> so they told me these bizarre stories that I'd love to tell you guys if you want to, of how they came to Christ, some of them through miracles. And you're like, we want you to teach us how to plant the first Kashmiri church in Kashmiri language. So I said, why didn't you ask Robert? He's been here a year longer than us. They go, we don't like Robert. I said, who's we? They said, you know, we, the community. I said, why not? I said, well, he tells people he's a businessman. He just drives around on a motorcycle giving out tracts and talking about Jesus. Look, they want to know more about Jesus, but they wouldn't go to this guy because he didn't have integrity. I've never told this to Robert, who's a friend of mine, but it would break his heart. He's a really good guy. But he thought, well, I'm just going to try to get into a closed place. It's not just get into a closed place. It's how do I make disciples in a closed place? And that's why you doctors and nurses and family practitioners, you've got such a huge advantage. Please don't stay in America and just waste your life away just living for yourself and doing dumb things like learning to play golf and watching sports movies and learning to duck hunt. While there is a huge portion of the planet with no access to the euangelios. And you can be the one that can make the connection for God's glory. Alright, I've said quite enough. Any last minute questions or comments or thoughts? Yes, sir. Practical question. How soon after uh, one of these, uh, a Muslim comes to Christ, do you uh, tell about baptism? That's a great question. I'm a Baptist, so it's, it's before I walk out of their door. 
you know, and we were talking about this the other day. We have all, even the Baptist church, seem to kind of de-emphasize baptism. I don't know. In America, it's like I, we I have friends that get saved, and it's three years later before anybody's really talked to them about ba- baptism. So, Dave, I don't really remember saying this, but there's another story that I'm going to tell tomorrow about a woman that came to Christ, and we sat there with her like 30 or 45 minutes or something like that. This is Darfur. The next day, we're getting on the helicopter, and she ran up. She said, you're leaving? I said, yeah, remember, I told you that we have to leave. And I said, but don't worry, others will come back to train you. And she said the most beautiful words I've heard in 20 years of missions. She said, but who will baptize me? And I realized I must have stuck a story in there somewhere about Philip and the eunuch or something. And I was like, well, good for me. It wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit. And what a gorgeous sentence. But who will baptize me? The Holy Spirit convicted her. This is the first step of obedience to Jesus Christ. It doesn't save you, but it's the first thing you do that's right. So, yeah, I, I hope I'm doing it right. <laughs> I'm trying to prioritize it or at least push it up there. Good question. Anybody else? We've got one and a third minutes. All right, then I'm going to pray for you guys, and you may go. Heavenly Father, we um, just thank you that we can talk about such a gorgeous thing out loud. We thank you that uh, we are people that, that know this, know this, uh, this gospel. And we thank you for the way it's radically changed us. We pray for this conference and we pray for everyone in this room that they will be changed by your spirit and molded into um, the disciple that you would want us to be for your kingdom and for, for your glory. We ask this in the name of our, Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Go heal the sick, raise the dead.